All right. Well, uh, welcome to our Religion Unplugged <laughs> podcast. I'm Paul Gladdery, Executive Editor. This is uh, Dr. Frank Wilzek, who, by the time people hear this, will uh, have a lot more attention around yet another honor, which is the Templeton Prize. So, uh, Dr. Wilzek, thanks for being with us today, and uh, congratulations on your award. Thank you very much. It's uh, very gratifying, and uh, I'm... I'm looking forward to the actual announcement, and uh, <laughs> and and uh, it means a lot to me. And I, oh, I wonderful! To, I hope to deserve it going forward. <laughs> yes, well, and uh, you know, as as anyone following the news on this realizes, is Dr. Wilczek's won many awards: the Nobel Prize, the uh, MacArthur uh, Grant, and some of the most important, you know. Uh, honors for academics and thinkers and scientists. This prize is different, though, and I wanted to hear a bit of your take because this prize, uh, I think, historically honored someone in the topic of religion initially, mm. and then expanded over time. Yes. And I'm, I'm told that your book gets into your book, Fundam <clears throat> your book Fundamentals, explains a bit of your own uh, story or religious background. And I wondered if you might yes. tell your listeners a bit about that. Yes. Well, I uh, was raised in the uh, in the Catholic tradition. My my grandparents all came from Europe uh, as as uh, to the United States as teenagers, and uh, they brought with them some of the traditions from Poland and Italy in the Catholic Church. Uh, my parents were probably less observant than my grandparents but also but did want me to to be educated in that tradition and i'm very grateful to that because uh and um as a as a as a child i i took it very very seriously and i think it had an influence in in my uh later life residual interest residual influence in uh, helping me to think big and look for hidden meanings of things. And I took it very, very seriously. Uh, my aspiration as uh, sort of going into my teenage years was was to be a saint. And I went to catechism school. I did, did very well in these, these classes. But then uh, at the same time, I was learning about science and, and other sources of information. Uh, philosophy. I read Bertrand Russell quite a bit. I had kind of a crisis when when confirmation came up. Uh, at, at the time of confirmation, we had a retreat and got really intense things, and intense instruction and intense coaching, so to speak, of what the religion, what what it really meant to be a Catholic. And I, and this is, I really resolved to be a saint. <laughs> but then, then immediately after that, though, I had a crisis and realized that I couldn't reconcile the details of the dogma with uh, what I was learning about how the world works. It's not so much the contra uh, that there were contradictions, although you know, if you read things too literally, there certainly are. Uh, but that the worldview that you get from the uh, scriptures is just so cramped compared to reality. There's no hint of the the, the vast scale of the universe and uh, the fact that people and Earth are at least 
by volume, a very, very small part of it, or the fact that there's a world, there's an interior world of atoms and very strange things of quantum mechanics. You know, so to me, it, it became very clear that uh, these, these scriptures were reflecting the uh, contemporary uh, human knowledge of the, uh, the ancient times and many years BC in, in, in the case of the Old Testament and a century or so AD in the case of the New Testament. And there's nothing in there that I saw that couldn't, that couldn't be understood as people with that limited worldview trying to uh, tackle questions of ethics and ultimate meaning. But without the benefit of the really very different and, and profound insights that have come since. So the influence was, so that left a void, I think, in many ways, because it had been so important to me. And uh, the, the influence of thinking that there's a hidden meaning to things, that it was important to think about the, those kinds of big questions. That stayed, but it left me with kind of a hunger that in many ways I've been trying to satisfy ever since. Wow. I think people have wondered if you, in the past if you had, you know, it sounds as if you'd lost faith in conventional religion or were agnostic, yeah. but apparently you tweeted something saying you're pantheist is closer to the mark well, I'd like to, at one point. <laughs> I've, tried to, I've tried to think, a lot of people ask me about this, and um, uh, the, the way I'd like to put it is that I think that God is under construction that we're learning what God is that and that's a lot of what that to me that's a lot of what fundamental science is about to, to understand what the world is and also to infuse it with meaning ourselves we uh, as humans control a lot of important parts of our destiny uh, we we are very possibly the vanguard of complexity and intelligence in the universe, or at least a significant part of it. And it's a tremendous opportunity and in a way also a responsibility to do justice to that gift. That way you conceive of science. And, you know, if, if anybody reads your books or watches your videos and talks or hears you speak, I mean, I, I think we hear you saying words like beautiful about the natural world or yes. referring to God and as you just as you just did in, in, in your construction or, or, or thoughts about it. but um you know is that um, controversial in science among some of uh, well communities or is it typical people, people are language? I mean it's a it's a big community and there are people uh, come come at these questions from different very different angles there are certainly scientists who are very infused with conventional religions. One of the very recent winners, Francis Collins, notably, is, is a, uh, a believing uh, kind of fundamentalist, almost, almost fundamentalist. I don't. Well, I don't, that, that word has connotations that may be not appropriate, but certainly a very hardcore Christian in a, a much more conventional way. But historically, many of my heroes in science were believing Christians and it didn't stop them from doing great science, including Newton, who was a serious theologian, going up to fairly recent history, uh, Planck, and Einstein in a different way. He was not, well, if I may say so, more like me. <laughs> they, uh, mm -hmm. He commonly spoke about God 
and uh, used that. It wasn't afraid to use that language, but mm. what he meant by it, as he articulated it, was uh, the god of Spinoza. So, which was kind mm. of a pantheistic everything. <laughs> everything is God, and and to understand what 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 God is, you you should try to understand. God's works and what it is, or maybe that what's God that's what God is. But certainly there are many scientists who are, who are quite uncomfortable with that word. And I think part of it is just that the word is for a scientist uncomfortably vague. People mean very, very different things by it. In some cases where God is invoked, it can be for uh evil purposes <laughs> uh you know uh, there have been religious wars uh i don't want to get into contemporary politics but but here in mm -hmm. the united states i think there's been a very distorted version of uh of religion that has uh, had a very deleterious effect on our political discourse and, and it seems very dangerous but there have also been high civilizations, great music, powerful thinkers like St. Augustine, who were steeped in uh, religious tradition. And, and Augustine, I, I claim, was for his time, was, was a scientist. So there are different attitudes. But my attitude is speaking in that language is something that scientists should not be afraid to do they should do it respectfully because there is so much of our culture and so much great greatness tied up with it but it is vague but how should i say i think god is too important to be left to conventional <laughs> the people who uh who most comfortably invoke it and and scientists in particular have a great deal to bring to discussions of what the world is what it's all about where how things came to be the way they are. We can say a lot of uh, insightful things that are not obvious about those questions, which in the past were thought of as philosophical or even theological. So whether you call it God or, or whatever you call it, those, those kinds of issues, I think, uh, are things that scientists, science does address. And I also think that just because you're a scientist and focus on the way things are doesn't disqualify you from thinking about the way things should be. I mean, the science also there has a lot to offer, not because you can deduce morality from science, but because the scientific community is a shining example, it's a shining uh, success story that shows what humans can accomplish if they behave with some competition but cooperatively and uh and with open exchange of ideas and critical thinking and just an honesty you know uh, ruthless honesty that that um, um those are things that i think people should take into account in thinking about how they should best behave and uh, then there are specific mm -hmm. things like what something that's very dear to my heart is complementarity, which is mm. the idea that uh, in approaching a subject, it might be a physical object, it might be a theory, it might be a domain of uh, discourse, or the, uh, there may be questions about it that uh, require 
very different languages, very different tools uh, to answer. And mm. those, those different approaches might seem on the surface contradictory, but to do justice to what you're talking about, you need to embrace, be able to embrace both. Uh, this is a theorem in quantum mechanics and quantum mechanics this is this is quite a sort of in your face you can't you can't avoid the, the the necessity of thinking about the same thing in different ways like wave and particle uh determinism and and chance they both those things are features of quantum mechanics and if quantum mechanics is correct and there are mountains of evidence that is correct though those things are both aspects of they're both aspects of reality and to do justice to reality you need to take both into account even though superficially and even not so superficially they seem contradictory mm -hmm. so and that general attitude i think is a it's a theorem in, in 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 science, but also in certain domains of science. But also, I think, is a great piece of wisdom that uh, is mind expanding. So, it invites mm. you to consider different points of view, and also encourages tolerance. That's. Do you think um, a, a larger larger society or groups can head toward that, or is it more individual? I, I in hope terms so. Of, uh, no, I. I well. Well, both. I mean, people. I mean, in society, of course, is made up of individuals, and individuals have it's the individual minds that have to be expanded. But but uh, uh, we'd like to expand lots of them, <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. and their cooperative effects. That if if, if uh, sort of a nucleus of people start start mm -hmm. to think this way and, and large enough, and it takes off, then then it, it could infuse our entire culture and that, that would be a wonderful thing i mean it seems sometimes there's this notion of war between science and religion um and it sounds like you're proposing hey that there's concepts that could unify the religious and the non-religious somehow uh especially yes. around science and d any more thoughts on you know uh what does it look like and how does it look in the future well, better than it is you now? know i I, in a way, well, I think I, in a way, embody it as we discussed my personal history. Uh, and uh, I learned from uh, my early religious training very valuable things uh, and sort of uh, a different way of thinking about the world that I, I still to this day benefit from. Uh, but in the spirit of complementarity, uh, if I want to answer different kinds of questions, then I may need very different kinds of tools. And certainly, if I want to understand how the world works, uh, you know, there, there are much better sources <laughs> for physics. The Bible is not a very good physics textbook. Let's put it that, as, as, you know, that that's, that's just fact. Uh, we, you know, it, it wouldn't help you to build a computer or a communication system or do anything, a build, or a bridge or anything of the many tremendous things that physics can accomplish. Uh, so if you want to understand how the world works and power and the, there's there's no question you need a different approach uh 
nevertheless, if if you want to understand Bach, if you want to understand uh, uh, a lot of things that are in our culture, the, a lot of the art and, and literature, uh, you need to understand those uh, those concepts and. And uh, they can be helpful guides to what right and wrong, frankly. You know, people, there's a lot of accumulated experience, things that work and things that don't work uh, that, that, that you, you can learn from. So, so, so how should I say? I guess it doesn't, you don't have to, you can, you can take the best without taking all of it. <laughs> and if you apply it to the right questions, to the appropriate questions, it can be very helpful and informative, and even inspiring. But so, so it would be a pity to give up on all that. It'd be like cutting off for a person who grows up in uh, anything like the, the the way I did with in, inheriting Western civilization. Uh, it would be like cutting off my left arm, throw that away, or 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 hate it. Uh, it's a much more appropriate response is to uh, mm -hmm. look at it sympathetically and not but critically and, and, and uh, see what you can use it for you expand your mind in that direction right? yeah well yeah it sounds you know you're expressing a lot about the where you see the limits of religion in some senses and, and, the, and the benefits of I'm curious if you flip the lens a bit or the camera angle to um, you know to science where you know in my neighborhood and yeah. others I you see these in suburbia, you see these signs, yard signs that have, they're almost creedal in nature. They say, you know, love is love and science is real and water is good or, you know, there's different varieties of that, but they're almost religious in nature. And I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious as a scientist, this, the, um, well, do you see limits or, or oh, issues well, there, dog there, dogmatism there as well, or? Yes, I, 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 I very much uh, take to heart and agree with uh, David Hume's dis uh, distinction that uh, you you can't go from statements about what is to statements about what ought to be that th those require different those kinds of questions require different approaches and uh, so science addresses what is and uh, only in a very loose sense what ought to be i mean we do i mean i do when i do science i think about well the laws might be more beautiful if i change them in this way or the, this I, this material might embody a, a new behavior if i do this uh but uh so we, we do think at, at some level about what ought to be but but in the ordinary sense of thinking about uh, how people should behave <laughs> Or you know what should how should I relate to uh, uh, social and political and moral questions? Uh, science can can give useful information, but it certainly can't unambiguously set up the goals. And I can sort of you know can lay out the possibilities, but then it's a, it's a question of a different order which possibility. Uh, you, you should take or what, what and uh, in, in thinking about questions like that it's certainly appropriate to consult history and consult what thoughtful people have thought about in the past including religious uh, thinkers 
So, mm -hmm. uh, so But, that, that, that's, that's my attitude. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, how do we apply? I'm curious, just your take on maybe some more contemporary topics of where, where we see polarization, like uh, vaccines or climate change as two examples <laughs> where it's, well, you know, it's like, I mean, in terms of um, uh, uh, how much room, how do, is there for skepticism? Oh. Like, you know, because some, some skepticism is obviously factually not based, but is, um, is there any risk that well, we don't have it? <laughs> well, in those particular cases, the, uh, the empirical scientific case is very very strong well let me let me say what more specifically in the the efficacy of the vaccines and their safety is has been very very rigorously tested and thank goodness for them in fact i right now as we speak i'm recovering from covid <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, if i hadn't been fully vaccinated and boosted i might be in really bad shape uh, thank god that <laughs> for the for the vaccines at, at some level it's an individual choice i mean you, it's very hard to force someone to have the vaccine if they don't want to they can run away or make make themselves scarce or you know but uh But it's profoundly antisocial, I think, because uh, the, the disease is transmissible and uh, it's, it, it's very, uh, I think, no, this, is, this, is, this gets beyond purely scientific judgments, but, but it's, it shouldn't be a difficult call that uh, the, 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 uh, the sacrifice involved in getting vaccinated is absolutely minimal and the good you do for other people is as well as yourself is very substantial so that's an easy one uh climate change is more complicated uh I, it's not complicated uh, because the facts aren't clear the fact i think the the facts that humans are causing significant climate change is 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 very clear the international panel on climate change ipcc has done yeoman's work with thousands of people involved in very seriously really weighing the evidence and you if anyone who's interested in this can can consult the documents and it's very it's very very serious and i i don't think there's room for serious doubt about the facts and the final conclusions have error bars so they're the the the, uh, the, the rise in temperature uh, depending on different scenarios can it can be estimated roughly within a factor of two but it but it's but it's substantial no matter how you do it uh, unless unless we uh, take steps to mitigate the current rate of dumping carbon dioxide and other substances especially methane into the atmosphere there is some that one's a little bit more complicated than the sense that the the sacrifices involved are not as trivial in in uh in uh as in the case of vaccines uh the, 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 there will be there are uh economic issues about how much it will cost and, and how, how how to do the transition that there can be serious serious discussions about but my own attitude my own just just to be clear my own attitude is that the risk of a, a true catastrophe from ecological collapse due to extreme changes in climate is so great that it's worth paying a substantial 
insurance premium to make sure that doesn't happen. It's really a crime against the future of humanity not not to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, th thanks for walking us through your, your thinking on approach to these kinds of questions. So, yeah. well, uh, talking about a big problem for humanity, my, my last couple of questions. One is, you know, what do you see as the biggest or the one on your mind that's uh, right now for facing humanity, biggest problem in your view? Well, let me let me give a twofold answer or actually two folds. And then one of them has two has a subdivision. <laughs> First of all, I think the greatest challenge facing humanity is living up to our potential. <laughs> uh, we, we've understood so much and the world is so wonderful. It's such a wonderful gift. There are so many things we could be doing. The, the potential futures for humanity are so uh, extraordinary and, and for intelligent, the universe are so extraordinary that living up to them uh, is, is a big challenge <laughs> and, and an inspiring one. And uh, I think it's important to put that positively because people, people uh, when, they, when they talk about, I think it's an unusual, probably an unusual answer to, to, that, to that question, uh, because if something positive doesn't happen, you sort of maybe don't know what you're missing. But I'm putting it out there that there's a tremendously positive possibility uh, opened up by our um, improved understanding of the world. There's a tremendous, we could, we could be doing much, much better than we're doing now, and, and we should. And then on the, the second part of my answer is the negative part, which is, uh, I think, the other great issue facing humanity is avoiding uh, pitfalls that that could derail this uh, this glorious future per, uh, for a long time or maybe permanently and there I think uh, the two primary ones there there are others but but the two primary ones that are really urgent are uh, on the one hand climate change which we already talked about and uh, and nuclear warfare, we still we're still on the precipice. Really, uh, it, if you think objectively about what it would mean uh, to have a nuclear war, is so horrific that we should be working very very hard to make sure that that's not possible and it's really disconcerting that it does seem altogether possible <laughs> right now it's uh it's it's uh tragic really and horrifying and uh we should we should uh, assuming that we get through this current crisis i think it humanity should should learn a lesson uh, that it didn't apparently learn from the Cold War and and get this genie back in the bottle. Um, mm -hmm. That those, those to me are the, the, the two challenges. It's a positive and a negative challenge. It, there, there are uh, possibilities in, in the physical world of uh, new super strong materials, uh, faster computers, quantum computers, highly, uh, artificial intelligence, or, uh, that, that will be very intelligent, first of all, and maybe the vanguard of intelligence in, in, in the, the medium term future, but in, in the shorter term future could, could uh, 
be could make life for everybody like like the Bloomsbury group or like ancient Athens for the people who had slaves you know you'd have you'd have uh, tremendous resources and wealth and then there's the, the bioengineering which could uh, uh, lengthen lifespans maybe by a lot and and not just not just lifespans but youth you know, thriving lifespans uh, and I, I think that that's not impossible hmm. at all another aspect of enriching life is not only to make material objects but to to uh, make new kinds of plants and foods and animals that could be friends for us so so science uh, on on those three fronts i think it's fair to say materials uh, uh information processing and uh bio bioengineering uh just you know has the prospect of new levels of wealth and richness of experience very attainable if, mm -hmm. if, uh, if we put our minds to it. To connect it to the discussion of climate change, from the point of view of physics, the sun rains down much more energy on Earth than we currently use in, in all forms. And uh, we're getting very good, we as scientific and engineering community are getting very good at converting the uh, energy from the sun into uh, forms that are portable and easily usable for a wide range of purposes, uh, basically turning it into electrical energy and storing it in other, uh, in other ways at a cost that's coming down rapidly. And so the era of uh, sustainable, cheap energy could also be upon us. And mm. that would uh, also ad address the climate change without uh, enormous or really even very significant economic penalties. So, uh, so that's so all of those things it's really exciting <laughs> how many great things could happen if we avoid the pitfalls and uh use our minds and invest live up mm -hmm. to live up to the potential the gift that nature gives us wonderful well you know the last question i wanted to go back to you now and um uh you've done so much in your career already published so many books and papers but you know with this prize and funding which is very cool that i think the templeton wants to always do more a little more funding than the nobel prize you know yeah. what do you, what do you look forward to doing and like, what should we you know kind of look forward to seeing from you in the next 10 or 20 years <laughs> well, uh, uh, I uh, well, I, I hope I can still thriving in t in twenty years. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's very possible. I'm taking good care of myself. So, but uh, um, you know, on, on the scientific front, I'm uh, as active as ever, really. And and many of my old ideas are coming to fruition now. So that's really motivating and. Uh, but I also am striking out in some new directions. The thing that that if you take the sort of the product of expectation, value, and and importance, that that I think is is for the near future the most uh, significant. So, so I'll just mention that is uh, I uh, named and pioneered the study of a new kind of particle called the axion. Uh, based on highly theoretical sort of aesthetic uh, 
criteria for, for making our laws of physics more beautiful. And it does. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, the consensus of people who are in a position to know is that it's a really good idea and this particle should exist. And then we learned the, 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 uh, uh, a great, a, a fantastic surprise uh, that this particle, when you work out how it would have been produced during the Big Bang, uh, it would still be around and has exactly the properties that uh, the the astronomers need to explain this this mysterious dark matter. The axions would, could be the dark matter. And uh, recently, uh, I, in collaboration with uh, uh, originally a couple of uh, postdocs, Matt Matt Lawson and Alex Millar, uh, have a new have, have a, an idea that I think is very powerful for uh, getting to detect these axions if they're there. So, uh, so and, that, and that's in now, now it's become a, a, an experimental uh, initiative with a lot of momentum behind it and some of the world's best experimenters in this kind of area uh, called the Alpha Collaboration. And I hope we'll have results one way or the other in, in, in you know well within the 20 year time scale you, you mentioned I hope much much shorter than that the uh, so we'll see we'll see if that's the dark matter that would that would be fantastic now I have a, quite a few other scientific projects going but I I won't you know I could go on for hours but the other front that's more related to the Templeton direction is that I'm currently writing a book called Futures, which is very much, I mean, not coincidentally, is very much expanding on the, the topics we've been discussing, uh, sort of how, what science says the futures might be in order to inform decisions about what we should do. Uh, so science doesn't tell you what you should do, but it, 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 I think it can present possibilities as well as pitfalls, envisioning those possibilities is an important step in deciding which ones you want and which ones you don't want, and and getting and deciding what you should do. So that that's what I'm doing in that direction. And you write a column in the Wall Street Journal, I understand. I write a regular column yeah. in the Wall Street Journal about once a month. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been a joy. Uh, it's it's really challenging. It has been a tough discipline because it, I, I'm sort of, I sort of have, uh, well, complimentary or quasi contradictory <laughs> instructions about these columns. They're supposed to be cutting edge science. And on the other hand, uh, 600 words long. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and not assume any background on the part or practically zero background on, on the part of the readers or general, you know, literacy, of course, and, and, and general intelligence, but not, not any scientific background. So it's been quite a challenge. And, but, but it's, it's fun. I mean, I like challenges. I like solving puzzles. And this has a, it's a big puzzle solving aspect to it to try to do that. <laughs> uh, we'll, right. keep, we'll keep watching for these words and ideas from you in, in these, these right. different formats. And we thank you so much for taking time uh, to talk with us today and uh, about uh, your work and ideas. And, and congratulations again okay. on this, this well-deserved honor. OK, thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Bye for now. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye.
The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at religionmag.